0: This is episode number 242, How Mountain Biking Changed Kyle Warner's Life. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day.
1: I think that what's cool now is I understand that every failure is just an opportunity. Like you can almost substitute the word failure for opportunity because every time you fail, it's an opportunity to learn or grow. And a lot of times now it's like, okay, I'll embrace failure. Like if we do something that completely just falls apart, you're like, all right, let's sit back and like assess this and try to learn from it. And instead of always being like in the victim role of things happening to me, it's like, what did I do to make that go wrong? And I feel like that's something I had to learn.
0: If you're new to the show, welcome. We are so happy to have you here. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss future episodes. This week's episode with Kyle Warner is one of my very favorites. The way that he describes things in his life, the way that he goes back to work ethic and his incredible mindset really make him stand out. So who is Kyle Warner? Kyle is an incredible mountain biker. He's very down to earth, and he's an amazing mountain bike coach on his YouTube channel with his girlfriend, April Zastro. You might know of Kyle Warner from his incredible race results as a professional enduro racer, or because of the mountain bike tips you've learned from his YouTube channel. I know that I have learned a lot that I've been able to apply from his YouTube channel to my mountain biking. But what you might not know about Kyle Warner is that his background and rise into the sport of mountain biking is far from traditional. He grew up helping care for his mother while she battled sickness and depression. And at one point, he and his mom were even homeless, living in an abandoned house. As a teen, Kyle started working in a bike shop, and at age 16, he got his first mountain bike. The mountain bike was like a key to a door that he didn't even know was there. And once he opened it, it completely changed his life. It gave him time away from life's major stressors. He ended up meeting a local group of riders and they saw his passion and potential. They mentored him and took him on his first trip out of state to race and meet other riders. Kyle says, it was the first time I really saw myself have a goal in life. And I just love the story because whenever kids growing up have a really tumultuous time at home or are homeless, like that's so crazy that he was homeless, they don't often turn to a sport and become one of the world's best. They go down the path of drugs and alcohol, and this story of finding the sport and his just incredible work ethic and self-belief will inspire anybody listening. So as you might imagine, Kyle kept up with racing. He became a professional racer, and he ended up winning the North American Enduro Championship in 2014, 2015, and 2016. He realized his purpose was even greater and wanted to give back to the community where he grew up in Chico, California. And as a result, he built a free public pump track for the kids of Chico. And now Kyle and his girlfriend, April's mission with their YouTube channel is to help people from all walks of life fall in love with the sport and have access to this positive mental and emotional outlet. And Kyle really believes in helping kids find the sport of mountain biking because it changed his life so dramatically, and he wants to be able to give that back to everybody else. We talked about so much in today's episode, but we talked about his his experience and journey from being homeless to becoming a professional cyclist, the power of work ethic, how Kyle Warner views failure, and I thought this one was really interesting, what does it mean to be special, having a worthy pursuit, how Kyle views risk-taking both on the bike and in business. We also talked about things like money, relationships, and authenticity. I feel like this is a good podcast to get to know the man behind the handlebars. And Kyle is just such a great person to look up to and to hear stories from because of his perspective. I want to take a quick second to thank all of you who are supporting my work on PayPal and Patreon. Your donations do not go unnoticed every single month, and they help pay my audio engineer, Roma, who is a professional musician and has done an incredible job with this podcast since episode one to make sure that the quality of your listening experiences are phenomenal. If you want to kick a couple bucks a month to the show, you can go to patreon.com slash the Sonia Looney Show or go to the podcast page, sonialooney.com slash podcasts, and you'll see a banner for PayPal to donate. And another great supporter of this show is Inside Tracker, who is a partner of the podcast. And they're offering a 25% off discount code if you want to check your blood work. And if you're not familiar with Inside Tracker, they are a company that measures over 30 biomarkers like cortisol, your HSCRP, which is your systemic inflammation, magnesium, vitamin D, vitamin B12, ferritin, and so much more. And as athletes, we do so many things to try and get an extra 1% out of ourselves, And we all know that eating a healthy diet and things that we do in our lifestyle, like sleeping and taking downtime is important. But the amazing thing about Inside Tracker is that you can actually measure it. And whenever they show you different ranges and things that you need, they are based on goals that you set. So they have goals like gut health, better endurance, better heart health, better sleep. And they suggest different types of things you can do, things you can do in your life or things that you can eat based on the levels that come up in the yellow or in the red. And then you can retest and see if those things that you're doing are working. They have over 2000 partnering labs in the USA. So it's really easy. You just walk into a lab, get the blood test done, and then you get to unlock a new level of performance with all of this information that you get. Most of us listening to this podcast are interested in taking responsibility for our health and performance, and Inside tracker is one way to do that. So if you want to get 25% off everything in their store, go to com slash Sonia, and you will get 25% off. And last, before we get into it, I have a weekly newsletter at com slash newsletter that's all about motivation, mindset, and how to be better every day. And it covers things like what I'm reading this week, an article that I spend a lot of time on, and then a heads up of the podcast episode for the week. So you can get that at sonyalooney.com newsletter, and I'd love to be able to connect with you there. All right, so let's get into this episode with Kyle Warner. How's it going, Kyle? I'm good. How are you doing, Sonia? Good. It's so fun to get to talk to you because I watch you all the time on your YouTube videos and get lots of tips from you, but to talk in person is pretty fun.
1: (laughs) That's cool. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. It's been crazy doing the YouTube thing. Like it's almost been a year now, which is crazy to think about, but (laughs) it's been a full year for sure.
0: Yeah. And I definitely want to get into the YouTube channel, but many people probably initially know you as being an incredible racer.
1: Yeah. Like you said, I, I came from racing and that was kind of I guess when i was younger that was really the only path that you had if you wanted to try to make biking a career and then all i knew was that i wanted to try to make it a career and try to do something fun with it and it was like okay if you want to do that then you have to race or film like these big video parts and you know if you didn't have access to the camera stuff or if you weren't a part of the crew it was really hard to get in those videos so basically it's like go racing and see if you can make it happen and yeah i did a bunch of enduro stuff and downhill stuff and it was super fun
0: Yeah. And you have one of the most unique and interesting stories of anybody out there who started racing. Can you talk about your past and growing up?
1: Yeah, for sure. I know it's always funny talking about that because I think with mountain biking, there's a big push right now with like the Grow cycling foundation and all that, right. To get a bunch more diversity in the sport. And a lot of times people don't realize that it is pretty much just like middle-class and upper middle-class dominant for a lot of like a lot of the kids I raced against had their whole family there with like you know, a trailer or stuff. And they'd kind of be at the races for the weekend. And yeah, I grew up with my mom on disability for depression. And so we were just, you know, her monthly income, I think was $900 a month. And that was to cover our whole family. And I don't know, it was just, uh, it was definitely tighter financially growing up. And then we actually had a big moment in like 2006 and 2007, like right around the housing crisis where we lost our home and we got evicted and we're homeless for a little bit. And so, that was kind of crazy. And, you know, there's just a lot of background story there of going in and out of trying to figure out how to make things work. And my mom being really sick for a long time. And she actually went through like a experimental treatment for um, hepatitis C because she was a drug user growing up. And so she had hepatitis C. She went through an experimental treatment, which was like chemotherapy when I was in high school. And um, that was really crazy. So she was like bedridden for months. And that was right when I started to really struggle in school because I was like dealing with so much at home. And then, you know, you go to class and you're just drained and they're trying to tell you about something that I'm like, dude, I don't even care. Like, I just want to try to rest or recuperate. Cause I know when I go home, it's going to be a nightmare. And, um, I don't know. Yeah. 0.5 GPA got kicked out of school, basically did homeschool and then needed an escape or a release. Cause I wasn't able to like get out of the house as much. And that's when I really found mountain biking and started to go down to the dirt jumps all the time. And, Just I know I just like latched onto it when I was 16 as like this is what I need to do to stay mentally healthy and yeah ever since then that was like I said I just knew that all I want to do is ride and I really loved it I want to try to make it happen so I was like oh I guess that you got a race now and had a really good group of people in Chico California called the Thunderbringers it was like a group of like 15 or 20 college guys and I was 16 at this time and they kind of took me under their wing and helped a lot with getting to the races and they just stuffed me in the back of the truck and go, you know, racing. And I don't know. It was really funny. I'd always, I don't know. It was just so fun. And I was glad that I got that experience too, because it was just fun. Like as a sense of pride, actually just, you know, sleeping on the floor the night before and like skating through the weekend barely. And then if you can beat one of the factory kids, you're like, yeah, you know, I got him. So (laughs) I always love that. And uh, I don't know. It's just cool. That's what I love about cycling is that it's an outlet for so many people. And I think that's something that The industry doesn't focus on as much as they really should in some ways. It's so technology driven and competitive driven in a lot of ways, at least like the core industry. And that's why we've really been super stoked with the YouTube thing is because we can kind of shine a little bit more light on like, hey, just go have fun and here's some tips. And our biggest goal with the whole YouTube thing, just hands down, is like we want people to be safer so that they can have fun and ride more. Because I, I know every time I used to get injured, like every time I'd break my collarbone or something dirt jumping, I would just be crushed because I knew I didn't have an escape for a few months. and that was so hard. So our big thing is like be safe, have good technique, just keep riding, keep it really fun and just explore and like get out of your own head, get out of any situation you have going on. So I don't know, that's just where I come from, I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah, and safety is such a big barrier for a lot of people that want to get into the sport of mountain biking because they're so worried about getting hurt.
1: For sure. And I know it's even crazy too. like the industry, I think in the next few years is going to do a really good job of helping people get into the sport because for so long, there's like this invisible barrier to entry where, you know, like, what do I bring on a ride? What do I wear? What do I? And we had bike shops for that. But a lot of times nowadays, people are really shy. And it's scary, especially if you're new to a sport. And you walk into a shop and you're like, Hey, I just want to buy a mountain bike. I want to mountain bike. I don't know anything about it. Like, how do I do it? And I know my girlfriend and I, like April, she's out riding next year right now. So that's why she's not here. But when we just got into rock climbing a little bit, we kind of had that same learning curve of like, okay, I don't know anything like help. And she went to YouTube and started learning a lot from that. And that's when we kind of had the light bulb of like, oh, maybe if you want to get better at mountain biking and then with COVID happening, we had more time together. Like let's try to do YouTube and see how it goes. But I think the industry is going to really understand that they need to help people from square one, you know, and keep, just get on a bike, get out, have fun. Like even today, April, I told her, you need to go like do a ride by yourself. Cause usually we ride together all the time. And I was like, just go ride by yourself and like have fun and just go explore. And she's like, Oh, I don't know what to bring. I was like, you know, like, and she's doing it still, but there's so many things to learn. So I don't know. It's really interesting.
0: Yeah. And I think with mountain biking in general, the reason why we love it so much is because there's never an end point. There's always something to learn. There's always something to work on and always people like you or other people out there to learn from.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I, I love that it's limitless as far as like the crossover between disciplines too. So, you know, someone who was a 24 hour world champion like yourself, they could also be a rad downhiller or they could go to the pump track and have fun and jump and you can always cross over and like you could teach people stuff about training and fitness and all these great things. And then someone else who's like a dirt jumper could learn from that, or they could also help you learn different things. And it's just like this huge community of all disciplines of cycling. And it's cool if you can kind of, we try to make stuff that really reaches like all disciplines, not just, you know, it's, this is only for enduro racers or this is only for trail riders or I don't know, just try to be open arms to everyone that rides bikes.
0: Yeah. I, there was a year where I said, I'm doing, I've never actually done an enduro where you can pre-ride, but one year I did three of the enduro stage races, trans New Zealand, trans BC and trans Cascadia. And I had no idea what I was doing and I have lots <laughs> of funny stories and I won't tell them cause this is about you. Um, but yeah, you're not alone out there if you're switching disciplines, but I want to, I want to go back and, you know, talk about your past because I think that our past really does influence and shape who we are. And some of it is conscious and some of it is subconscious. And the first question that I want to ask you is, what was it like growing up without stability? Because a lot of times people's parents, you know, are their stable foundation. And it sounds like you didn't really have that.
1: Yeah. Man, it's so hard because it's I never knew what stability was. And so it's like if you don't know that it's something unstable because you don't have a reference point of what stable is, because like my mom and dad, they got divorced when my mom was pregnant with me. And so You know, I never had the father figure in there. And then my brother, who's 13 years older than me, he moved out when I was three. So it was just me and my mom. And she was sick for most of my childhood and growing up. And she still battles with it now. But I don't know, it's just hard, like, when you just are growing up in that environment, like I always tell April now, there's things that I reflect on all the time. Like, you know, I didn't know until I was older that like overdraft charges are not normal you know, and my mom, every single month we'd get overdraft charges, which were 35 bucks from the bank where you have, you know, negative money. And so you get down to zero, you overdraft, and then they charge you $35. And I remember my mom crying like monthly because she'd get the overdraft fee. And, you know, I didn't realize that when you're older, like I don't get overdraft fees, you know, because I don't maintain a zero balance all the time. And just stuff like that is so weird. And even having to choose, okay, are we going to do power bill this month or water bill or Are we going to do, like, I didn't have internet for the longest time. And, you know, it might not sound like much, but growing up, it was like, okay, we have power, water, and you can choose this month, we could try internet, or next month, we can do cable, or we can switch back and forth. And I don't know, it's just those little things you take for granted. And especially when you think, oh, all right, now throw like a multi-thousand dollar hobby into the (laughs) plan. It's like, not realistic. So I don't know, it's just hard it's hard to explain, I guess, to people that haven't been in it, but you just kind of get used to instability and like having things always fail and having things really fall apart a lot. And I still struggle with that a lot today of feeling the pressure that everything's going to fall apart. And I think that drives me to work like sometimes too hard. Like I'll burn myself out sometimes because I'm always trying so hard to keep things going. And even with racing, it was like, I'm going to study GoPro footage all night. Until So I have the courses dialed the next day and I would try to outwork everyone because I felt like if I didn't, it would just all fall apart because that's what I my frame of reference was. But I don't know if that makes sense, but that's kind of something I battle with still.
0: It does. And I didn't have the pass that you have, but I also do the same thing. Like I always burn myself out because I just try so hard to outwork everybody doing everything. And there's a fear around taking my foot off the gas. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I know that's how I always feel like Seriously we could be in a stable position and I always feel as soon as i get comfortable i'm kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop where it's like okay growing up it's like something bad is always around the corner but if you just always are working and like you're just always kind of creating your own turmoil or own stress by doing like okay i'm racing i'm working hard i'm sore like that's my stress now or my turmoil is like my internal conflict my internal challenges and then as soon as you like accomplish all of those challenges i felt like external challenges would come in and maybe it's like this happens or someone gets sick and it was kind of weird like i'd always just try to create my own internal challenges and strive for those because that was my conflict that i could control instead of like the external conflicts that just come into my life and i don't know it's so weird i feel (laughs) i feel like that's something i need to work on still but it is cool because having that work ethic i think it's sometimes easier to tell people to like tone it down versus like hey you're lazy you need to work hard and i'd rather be trying to do too much a lot of times, even though it's hard on April, she has to deal with that quite a bit where, you know, she's like, you never rest. I'm like, Oh, I don't want it to fail. Like I want things to work out and I feel like I need to work hard. So.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So you said, you, you know, you, you work really hard because you're trying to find a semblance or a sense of control in these environments, but you also regularly face failures or you know really real world real life challenges that in bike racing make bike racing seem so silly but you face these all of these challenges coming up all the time and you, you just said that you're worried about failure so like how do you think that having that kind of instability and that like that challenge growing up has affected your relationship with failure now and your perspective about failure
1: yeah i think that what's cool now is i understand that every failure is just an opportunity. Like you can almost substitute the word failure for opportunity. Cause you know, every time you fail, it's an opportunity to learn or grow. And a lot of times now it's like, okay, I'll embrace failure. Like if we do something that completely just falls apart, you're like, all right, let's sit back and like assess this and try to learn from it. And instead of always being like in the victim role of things happening to me, it's like, what did I do to make that go wrong? And I feel like that's something I had to learn where my mom growing up, she, a lot of times would be at the kind of at the whim of the universe where it's like, oh, this happened to us or, oh, the power got shut off or, you know, oh, I'm, I don't know, it was hard. She wasn't in control of those things. And I just kind of adopted the mantra of like everything that happens, good or bad is your fault. And and not in like a harsh way, but just if you can take anything that happens and say, okay, that's on me, let's learn how I can do a better job. Even if someone were to kind of go behind your back or screw you over in like a some situation or like, okay, well, that's my bad for not diving in deeper and doing my research and trusting this person before I should have and, just things like that, where I'm always trying to take ownership of it. Cause then that way you can at least like control it and move on from it instead of being the victim. But that was one thing that I'm still trying to work on as well. I feel like life is, is always evolving and you're always trying to learn and grow, but it's fun to have those challenges. And I love learning new things. Like that's, what's been so cool about doing the YouTube thing is just having all these new challenges that are all positive. And you're like, Okay, how do I edit? You know, how do I film a video? How do I post it? How do you make a thumbnail? How do you do all these things? And that's been like so much fun just learning all these new things over the past year.
0: Yeah. So you take a really high degree of personal responsibility in your life that you learned kind of like doing the opposite of what your mom was doing.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's like the, you know, you have two types of uh, leadership in your life or whatever, or mentors. You have like lead by example or show me what not to do, <laughs> like also lead by example, but negative. So that was always kind of funny is I would try to do the opposite of that because, yeah, I feel like if you just try to take ownership for things and you just are like, okay, this is, I'm driving this car and, you know, I'm kind of in control of it, you know, things are happening, like I can control how I respond to them. So that it makes life a lot more peaceful, I feel like, but
0: <laughs> yeah. And I think that it requires like a pretty high degree of humbleness to be able to take responsibility for your successes and your failures. But it sounds like your relationship with failure, like you said, every failure is just an opportunity for growth and for learning. So wh- what's the big deal if something goes wrong? Because you'll just figure it out.
1: Yeah. And I always laugh like too with... Uh like the humble or the ego thing people will say like oh like you're very humble it's like well all i do is i ride bikes you know it's like i'm I'm not special at all it's just it's cool that for whatever reason this passion has turned into something really fun and like we can help a lot of people and impact people but i don't feel like i have like i'm not special by in any means it's just like i just am trying to react to what i was given like you know turning lemons into lemonade type thing it's just like all right i'm just always going to try to take a positive route, if I have a choice between positive and negative, if I can always just take a positive, then I'll just try to go that way and see what happens. But yeah. What is
0: special? Like, I, I, you know, we all think, well, I'm not special, you know, I'm just myself and, but what is someone who's special? Like what, what, how would you define that?
1: Um, I think that for me, I feel like people that are spending most of their time in a non-selfish pursuit are like a lot of times people that I find that I admire a lot. And so for me, so much of my life with racing was a selfish pursuit. And I think that was one thing that I struggled with for a long time was like, okay, I'm training for me. I'm going to the races for me. I'm trying to do well for me, you know? And it's like, it didn't really impact other people. The only people it helped was my sponsors and, you know, yeah, you can inspire some people to do the same thing. But what was really game changing for me was I like helped build a public pump track in my hometown of Chico, California and you know we didn't have anywhere legal to ride and like my whole criminal record has been on my bike of riding (laughs) in spots i haven't or shouldn't have been in trying to ride a skate park which was no bikes allowed and i don't know it's just crazy because our town was like a bike town that had nowhere legal that i could ride so we went to the city and like really battled with them quite a bit to do a pump track and that was a huge shift in my perception of what you know a worthy pursuit is because the day that we did the grand opening and there's all the families out there, and there were so many kids out there like laughing, smiling. And I saw a lot of the kids that were there, I saw myself in them like when I was younger and I needed that escape. And I wish that I would have had somewhere legal to go ride and just play around on. And that really shifted like in my mind, okay, I'm spending so much time on pursuing me with racing. And I should be spending more time on like pursuing the happiness and enjoyment of other people. And I think that would make my life better. So. That was when I stepped back from racing a little bit. And I've kind of been like brewing in the background for the past couple of years. Like, okay, what do I do that helps people? And how can I do that with the skill set I have? Because I didn't go to school, you know, and I'm still trying to learn a lot of things. And we didn't have family money. So I'm still like kind of grinding. I don't really have the resources to do a ton, but I do have the time and energy. So that's what we've been trying to do. And that's why YouTube seemed like a good fit. Because, you know, the barrier for entry is just effort with YouTube, like anyone can make a video, but to make a good video, it just takes a lot of effort. <laughs> and I was like, all right, well, I'm willing to put this in. And as if it can help people, that'd be great. And it feels like a little bit more of a worthy pursuit than just me racing. Or I don't know if that makes sense, but that was how I felt. So
0: yeah, there's so many great things. in what you just said, you mentioned basically like time and energy are our best currency, like we, even if you don't have like a ton of money or a ton of backing, like being able to invest your time and energy into something, and drive purpose from that, especially a worthy pursuit, to use your words of something that is outside yourself.
1: Yeah, and that's what like people I really admire are people you know like an Elon Musk or someone who is trying to do so much for the world and for humanity and like you know, he is getting rewarded with financial gain, obviously, but that's not the end goal. That's just like the byproduct of doing good things for other people. And I don't know, I just really admire people like that, that are trying to do cool things. And even like Elliot Jackson with what he's doing with the growth cycling foundation. And it's just things like that are really cool to me. And that's something that I want to do in the future. And we have some really fun plans, like a five-year game plan of where we want to take what we're doing now and where it can go. And so that's going to be really exciting to kind of see that journey. But I don't know. It's just been fun. Like I love hearing stories from people and then I love trying to connect with like I always just think of like a young me. You know, it's like a young Kyle watching the videos and distressed out at home and like dealing with my mom and my brother who was battling meth addiction for a long time too during that whole period and like they would battle like crazy and I was just sitting there in the middle kind of like this kid lost not doing well in school didn't have anything to look forward to and if I would have been able to watch like a YouTube video where these people were being super cool to me and you know respectful and they're like trying to help me learn something, I would have been, I would have loved it. So that's like what we try to focus on.
0: Yeah, you have like such a high degree of empathy, um, <laughs> just for because of what you've been through in your life, and it, it's really making a huge difference in your community and beyond.
1: Yeah, it makes me sad to think about other people struggling like I had to struggle, and you know they a lot of times they say like the most depressed person is the happiest in the room. And you'll see that where people will take you know, depression and they understand how much that sucks. And so for them, they externalize that as this happiness and they try to be like the class clown or the happiest person in the room to help everyone feel better because they know what it feels like to feel turmoil and depression inside. And that's kind of where I come from too is like, You know, I inherited some of that from my mom and it it really bums me out to think about other people having to struggle. Like I have had to struggle in the past and I want to try to do whatever I can to like be a little escape or an outlet. So that's what we try really hard with what we're doing now and with our channel to just be positive and like, you know, just be positive and be that little, you know, five minutes or ten minutes that someone can take per week to just watch something positive. And especially with everything else that's going on in the world, like we don't need more of that and we don't need more drama and like anything like that we just need here's positivity go ride your bike have fun learn something new so that's where i come from because i just want to help people feel better (laughs) i hate that i hate being bummed out and like dealing with so much stuff that you feel lost and i don't think anyone should ever have to feel like that and that's why i always joke that like cycling can kind of be the key that unlocks the door that you can put your foot in to like open the whole world because the community of cycling is so passion-based and if other people identify that passion in you then they're like all right you're in (laughs) like come on let's go and that's what I've been able to experience with sponsors and people helping me for years is they just identified passion and they're like I don't know what you're doing but I like it so like let's just help you keep doing it and I don't know it's just really cool whereas a lot of industries that are not passion-based it's harder right like if you were in the pharmaceutical or the oil industry and you're like a passionate (laughs) person it's probably not going to get you very far But I don't know. I love the bike industry for that reason.
0: Yeah. And I actually am going to argue, and I know that everybody listening and probably everybody you know would argue that you actually are really special because (laughs) most people would never have taken the path that you've taken with where you started and the evolution of you know, being homeless and being homeless while racing and while (laughs) racing at a very high level and being able to have this can-do attitude where you just go do stuff and you make it happen. And most people are afraid to even start. And then to realize like, Hey, like I had this journey racing, but there's actually more, even more to it than that. And then you just keep going. And that's incredibly special and very unique and very inspiring.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. I heard a funny quote one time and it's from a NASCAR racer, but he goes, you know, you race faster when you're in debt. And (laughs) (laughs) it's true. Like when I was really broke, it's like, all right, well I need to win or else I can't pay rent next week. So like I'm winning and all you know nothing matters and i think what was nice about that mentality is like you said a lot of people are scared to take the first step but when you have nothing to lose it's kind of like well I, i'll just jump off this first step because i don't even like there's no reason for me not to but i don't know it's just uh it's hard i think a lot of times when people get older and they get in a position where they have a few things like relationships or their hometown their network all these things right they're scared to make a change because they're like, I'm going to lose what I've worked so hard for to build. And that's scary. And when you have nothing on the back end of that, and you're just a a person just floating and you're like, all right, I'll just go here and here and here and here. So it's quite a bit different, but I I empathize with people that are scared. And April had to make that big change this year where she just left her job that she worked at for 10 years to try to pursue what we're doing. And uh, yeah, I had to console her quite a bit. Like it's scary, you know, And she actually had someone helping her make that jump too. And it's still scary, but I definitely feel for people like that.
0: And it sounds like now, I mean, you have a lot more than you used to have. And, you know, now you actually might feel like you have something to lose. So like, how does that affect your decision-making and risk-taking?
1: Yeah, it's been the hardest part has been involving someone else into the process, right? Of like risk, because I never, ever, ever want April to have to go through anything bad with any of like financial loss or anything. Like I always want things to be successful. And now that she is tied so tight, like, you know, we're together, we own our house together. We have the business together and everything. It's just like, that's one more layer of just kind of a filter that I look through where it's like, all right, here's this risk. Is it worth taking? Yes or no. And if it's like borderline, then I'm like, is it worth endangering April's sake? I'm like, no, okay, that's not worth it. Let's, go. So you are right. It does get harder as you get older, but then also you kind of have more resources to get things done than when you're younger. And then you also have more knowledge and like maturity. So I think when I see those opportunities and I'm like, all right, I'm going for it. Then it usually works out because there's a lot more like decision-making that goes into it. So (laughs) I don't know, but it's still scary.
0: Something I love about change and risk. And I feel like if you never take risks and you never make any changes in your life, then you stagnate and life gets really boring. And it is those sort of like scary, almost, you know, uncertain times that teach you who you are and being even even being stuck in those moments for periods mm-hmm. of time when you're trying to figure out what your next pivot is can be something that if you can stay with staying in it long enough, it can be something that actually rebirths something that's really incredible.
1: Yeah, I know. I was reading a thing the other day and they were talking about how in this generation, one of the hardest things for kids coming up is the lack of boredom. Hmm. And basically they were talking about how throughout human history, most major things happen, like all of your reflecting and your processing happens during those times of boredom where you're just sitting there and you're like, I'm stagnant. I'm, I don't have anything going on. Like, what do I do? And you can process and daydream. And so like now kids with so much stimulation and even adults now, It's hard to really have that moment of like just full self reflection. Like, what is my next pivot? Where do I go? And I know for me, I was struggling with that too. Cause like with working all the time, you don't really have the processing power to really like reflect as well. And so I would try to like decompress by like playing Xbox or something at night. And I got to the point finally where I realized me playing my Xbox, I'm not actually allowing myself to have that moment of boredom. And so I like sold my Xbox, sold all the games. I'm like, all right, I'm out. I need to just do nothing. For like a few hours a week and just reflect. And that's been a huge help, actually. So,
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For me, I actually really enjoy riding by myself. And it's not because I'm a hermit, but that is like the time when I come up with my best ideas and I figure out who I am and reconnect with who I am every single day.
1: Yeah. Big time. That was for me when I was racing, it was driving, you know, and you'd be on the road for like driving from Colorado mm-hmm. to Washington or something. And you're like, all right, let's just turn the radio off and just think for a while. So I hope that people will start to identify how important that is because I think a lot of people don't have the, like a lot of people don't have the moment in the day where it's this quiet and that's such a huge thing. And with riding, again, it's such a great outlet because you have that. And, you know, if you just go out with no headphones and you're by yourself in the woods and you're out there for an hour or even two hours, something, you can go on an adventure and just, just think and process. And when you get back, like you have so many things that you've kind of figured out through that ride. So that's why I love that too. I'm definitely a solo rider as well. And I sometimes will get flack from the other guys here in town. Cause they're like, dude, you never hit me up. I'm like, dude, I, like, I want to, but I also need that moment. You know? Yeah, So it's like, I need to, I differentiate like group riding and then solo riding yeah. and they're different purposes for sure.
0: I'd like to talk about money because yeah. there's like the scarcity mindset about money. Like I need to protect what's mine. And you know, I'm afraid that somebody's going to take something that I have or you know especially like when you didn't have any growing up and then now you're mm-hmm. making some but then there's also like if you can picture money with an abundance mindset and almost giving it away then it becomes something that's not this like stress. So like how do you view money right now?
1: Yeah, I think for me growing up, like I definitely had that kind of scarcity or famine complex where I was I was at the race and I saw first place check was 300 bucks or 500 bucks or whatever and I'm like that's mine. Like I need that because I need to pay off these things. But over time, I've really kind of tried to identify what the definition of money is and what it actually is. And you know, if you really think about it, money is just kind of a battery and it's a storage. Like the reason it's like a battery is it stores other people's mental and physical energy and then you can trade that amongst each other right so it's like a commodity where you're just trading people's energy whether mental or physical and some people's mental energy is worth different amounts and some people's physical energy is worth different amounts but when you start to realize like all that money is when i'm accumulating money it's because i'm trading my resources and my mental and physical energy for the other things that people really value and that was like a huge changing point for me cuz like when i produce things that create money or the, in return, it's not because someone else, no one else is taking that away, right? Like I'm you have to add value to the system. And if someone else is also adding value, then it doesn't decrease the value that I'm adding. So I don't know if that makes sense, but that took a long time to learn. It's like if I add a you know fifty thousand dollars a year of value to the bike industry through sponsorships and all that, like sponsors are willing to return that to us, then it doesn't mean that someone else adding value is taking away from value I'm creating too. And once I kind of saw it that way. It's like, if we all just try to add value and create a bigger pie and just grow this whole thing, which is the bike industry, then that could be such a huge thing for everyone. And it's already changed so much since when I was a kid. Like The amount of people that have sponsorships and rides and product discounts and are making some money on the road, like it's crazy. Because when I was growing up, it was so hard to get anything. But I don't know. It's weird too now with like, you'll see people say like, The bike industry is focusing on YouTubers or content creators more so than racing. And a lot of the racers are kind of losing their money that they've been working for for so long. But at the same time, I think what people aren't really realizing is like this whole YouTube thing and the content creation thing and the podcast thing like you're doing, it's creating value in a completely new direction. And so the industry is kind of in a moment of like reassessing and they go, all right, well, we've been doing this for so long with racing and putting X amount of dollars there for so long. We've developed it pretty well. Let's try to take some of that money and put it in this direction, see what happens if we can grow the sport. And then hopefully if it does grow the sport, then the racing grows as well. You know, it's a giant circle. It's not just a one ended line, but I don't know. How do you feel about it with stuff?
0: Well, first, I think that was such an incredible description about money and I've never heard anybody talk about it that way. And it's obvious you've spent some time thinking about it. (laughs) Yeah, I, I feel the same way as you. And honestly, like my husband was a big inspiration in that because This was like years ago, but especially opportunities for females, like there's just, it's getting better. But I mean, six, seven, eight years ago, there wasn't that much opportunity and it was really hard. And I always had people coming to me wanting help. And sometimes I would have that constricting feeling of like, well, what if I help this person? And then they get way better at at whatever I'm doing and they're better than me. And then they take away all the opportunity that I can get. And it's hard to admit that out loud to even have Mm -hmm. had those feelings. And I still have those feelings, but I totally believe and take in that mentality of I'm going to make the pie bigger. I'm going to make this better for everybody by contributing as much as I can. And it might mean that somebody, you know, gets an opportunity that I wanted, but that doesn't mean that it's a bad thing. There's just going to be opportunities elsewhere.
1: Yeah. And I've had those thoughts too, in the past, and it's like completely natural. And one thing that really helped me as well is like just the 30,000 foot, you know, bird's eye view is like people in the bike industry are literally fighting for like a few thousand dollars a year. And there it's like turmoil, like, Oh man, you screwed me out of this opportunity, which was going to make me 12, like 1200 bucks. And then you look at minimum wage in the NFL is 580,000 a year. And then minimum wage in the NBA is 780,000 a year. And so it's like, it's just funny because I'll, I'll hear people be like, Oh, this is going to mess me up with this opportunity. And it's like the value that we are creating in this little space of the bike industry is so small that if we're able to get smarter and work outside of the industry and pull in sponsorships, like you know people that are have visibility and are doing cool things, like assess bike hacks, like he should be making a lot of money because he's creating a lot of value. And I don't know, I just I hate when people get in like weird disputes about stuff or or there's like teammate conflict over you know a thousand bucks or two thousand bucks, and it's like in your lifetime earning potential, that two thousand bucks isn't worth losing a friend over. So I don't know, I always just try to think about it that way. But it is weird. And I think when I started to realize that if I just like money is the byproduct doing a good job. And so if you just always try to do your best job and do a good job and create value, like it'll come and then I don't spend a lot of money. So I just am always like, Okay, that's cool. Like, I'll check it every once in a while. Like Okay, cool. Like we're doing okay. But I try not to fret on it too much. And that seems to help a lot.
0: (laughs) Yeah, like I and you're probably the same way. Like I end up spending almost all the money that I get from sponsorships and putting it back into projects that benefit other people, mm-hmm. because that's what I believe in. I believe in, you know, the same things as you, the same ethos. Like I want the world to have more positivity and people to feel like they can just do those things that they really wanted to do. And it, it costs money to create a podcast or to, you know, yeah. have a YouTube channel, but it's, it goes back to purpose and something outside yourself.
1: Yeah. I mean, even this year, as an example, we spent about twenty-five to thirty thousand dollars on camera equipment and just getting set up with like computers to edit videos. And and that was literally the savings that I had set aside that I've been saving for a long time. You know, I was like, all right, well, I want to do a good job at this. I want the like the content to be quality and like look good. All right, how do I do this? And it's like, here's cameras, here's lenses, here's computer, here's this, here's this. And over the year, you're like, oh my God, I spent so much of the money that we're like, we spent way more than we made last year on YouTube for sure. But it's like in the hopes that we're doing a good job and we can affect change in people. And long term, it's a long term plan too. Like once you have the equipment, now you have the podcast set up, it's like, then you can just keep doing it. And I don't know. I heard a good quote the other day in a business book, and they were like, the way that you differentiate your business is like building a moat around it. And so a lot of times that moat is like additional investment or that. Extra barrier for entry. So, if you're a business and you start to build a bigger moat, like it could be your intellectual property or the scale that you have, like scale can be a moat or intellectual property or the process that you do things. So, that's kind of what we've always thought to is like, let's invest everything that we make into like differentiating our channel. And then in the future, it'll be harder for someone to just replicate the same thing. Cause I mean, it is easy if someone else wanted to come in and just copy everything. Like in the fitness industry, there's a big issue happening right now. There's this guy. Athlean X. And he's done like these amazing YouTube videos for years. And then there's this new guy, V Shred. And this guy, V Shred is a group of like three or five investment partners who are just taking a good looking model. And they are just copying all of this guy, Jeff's videos, word for word, the same videos, same content, same everything. And now he's created a $100 million supplement brand out of V Shred. And there's like this battle of like, how do like, you know, he's just copying this information and then replicating it and people could do that to us as well if they ever wanted to so the differentiating factors are like passion you can't really replicate that you can't replicate your purpose you can't replicate like if you build this big moat it's hard for people to replicate
0: well no one can replicate you in april like there's there's <laughs> there's like a personality thing and you mentioned a couple times like people being able to see themselves in you like these these young kids or heck, these uh, six-year-old, you know, woman watching this being like, I want to learn how to do a drop or I want to learn how to corner better. And the way that you describe things and the way people relate with you is something that can't be replicated.
1: Yeah, I know. It's been cool to see that. I like, we never anticipated it to grow the way it did. And it just makes me happy that it's helping people. And honestly, like, I don't know the coolest thing about this whole thing is that April and I get to spend more time together now. And that's like the best thing that's come out of this is that we get to spend more time together and we're happier than ever. And like things are going well and that's like hopefully going to just show it in content. And I really want people, I don't know this couple emailed us and they said, Hey, I just want to say thank you. Like my wife and I have been riding or we've been struggling for a couple of years and trying to figure out like our marriage. And I'm a huge passionate mountain biker. And through the videos, she got inspired by April enough to try mountain biking. And now we have this shared passion and like our relationships better than ever. And That kind of stuff makes me like almost cry. You know, it's like, that's so cool. And that's the coolest thing about this whole thing. And people will be like, oh, I want to be, you know, I want to make money. I'm going to try to do YouTube, but it's like, we don't even care about that. It's like, I just want to help people feel like they have a friend and then like they can learn things. And hopefully if they feel that way, then it'll like, it's creating value, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And (laughs) there's something about seeing April do it that is really inspiring because you're very inspiring with all of your accolades, but if someone sees you do it, they're like, well, Kyle can ride like anything. <laughs> and I'm not like Kyle, like he's, he's inspiring, but I, I but, and then you yeah, yeah, see different. April do it. It's just, and, and I'm like, I was really inspired by April. Like there was this huge drop out, like, well, huge is relative, but there's a drop <laughs> that I was, I considered huge for me. And watching your drop video was like so awesome because I actually went and did the drop and I That's awesome. like, I was able to do it because of that video.
1: That's so cool. I know it's funny. I, <laughs> April's funny too, because she gets bummed on herself sometimes. She's like, I want to be better than I am. I'm like, April, you're doing so awesome. And the fact that you're progressing with people is the whole point of this whole thing. And she's like, I know, she's like, I feel weird that people know who I am because I'm learning. <laughs> and it's like a weird place to be in, but because she was a pro motocross tracer too, you know? And so she knew what that was like to be the professional. And now she's like the person learning. And uh, I know it's just been so fun. Like, I love that we have people of all different demographics too. And so like the women percentage is really high, which is great. And that's been something really cool that we're touching a part of the bike industry that hasn't been kind of reached in a long time. and. I know yesterday we were at the bike park and there's like a group of five kids. They're like, Oh my God, blah, blah. And it was cool because they were all different skill levels and all of them were trying different tricks from like one of our last videos where we did like seven skills. And one of them was like, Oh, I'm trying to learn the track stand. And then other guys like, I'm trying to do this little pizza hop thing. And then this other kid was like, I want to learn the bike spin. So it was cool to see within one group of friends that they're all on different kind of levels and they all were enjoying it. And I don't know that it was really yesterday was like a really cool motivating day for me. I was super stoked. So we're hoping to just keep doing it and um, never try to be anything different. Like we want to just continue to be the same people and the same message and the same content and not try to like, I don't know our goal isn't to like grow and do something crazy. Our goal is to like get to a point where we can bring other people in, in and produce quality content more frequently. Because right now it's hard to do more than one a week, like just the time that it takes to do a good video and like plan it and script it and figure out exactly what I want to help teach people and like, you know, watch slomo videos, identify what's happening and all that stuff. It takes about a week. So it'd be cool to be able to do more, but (laughs) that's the hard part.
0: Yeah. And then like the scaling part of, you know, hiring people and then figuring out like, well, is this person going to understand what we're about? And is it going to feel different if this Mm -hmm. person starts doing the editing? And like, how am I going to pay for this?
1: Yep. That's been the biggest struggle lately. Um, And it's a good struggle. I, I guess struggle is the wrong word, but that's been the biggest like opportunity that we're trying to figure out right now is how do we bring someone on and then not have it change things? Like how does it just come on and be a value add versus like a shift? And I've seen that happen with a lot of channels where people, you know, they start out doing everything and they're controlling it so well because it's their message directly from them to the the viewer and then when you get people involved in that process it can change it quite a bit so we're trying to figure that out and i don't think i've figured it out yet you know because we're still like sorting it but that's kind of this year's goal is try to see if we can bring someone on that can help us just do more without changing it but I don't know if we'll be able to do it. So I'm trying to figure it out. If you if you figure it out, let me know.
0: Oh, I haven't figured that out. But you know what? <laughs> I think that you could find somebody that could help you make it even better. You know, like we think, oh, mm-hmm. this person's going to change it and it's going to be worse. But they could change it and make it even better.
1: For sure. For sure. That's definitely the goal. And I think what's been cool is like, I just want to say a huge thank you to, you know, the brands that we do work with, like Niner and all the, the big brands, because they saw what was happening last year. And then... Basically, Wait, sorry to
0: interrupt. Who who else? Because like I think it's important to give a shout. Yeah. Out.
1: Okay. I didn't want to like bombard no. it, but no. Yeah. So Niner is a huge sponsor, and SR Sun Tour they've been with me for like ten years now, and we have Shimano, Stans wheels, Schwabe tires. Um, we're working on another one with a retail partner right now. We have Ride Concept shoes, and then let's see. Well, oh, Fly Racing, their local like clothing one that's for April work before, and then mm-hmm. Project Filter, which is like the Idaho tobacco um, prevention programs. That's been cool. Cause we talked to kids at schools and stuff about vaping and smoking. That's been really cool. But all of the sponsors saw what was happening last year and they saw the growth of the channel. And I told them, Hey, we want to do more of this. And like with, you know, whenever COVID ends and whenever April has to go back to work full time at the office, like we're not going to be able to make videos. So we need her to be able to jump to full time. And basically every sponsor immediately was like, yep, we got you. We want to support this. And they did two year contracts. So we have like a little bit of an opportunity to make it happen. So that was huge. That was like the coolest moment because I was anticipating people being like, hey, you already have a contract and we're just going to hold you to this. And like, that's cool that you're doing more. And, you know, we'd love to support April. But like, I know with how hard it is for women to get support in the industry and the fact that Niner was immediately like, yep, no problem. Here you go. Here's two year deal. Like you guys are doing awesome. And that's kind of how the response was for everyone. And it made me really happy.
0: That's amazing. I um I keep hearing a lot about uh, like an as an undercurrent relationships, like relationships with your girlfriend and growing that relationship, relationships with sponsors, challenging relationships you've had in the past, relationships with competitors. Can you just talk about how you view relationships and and how you navigate some of them?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm still figuring it out, but I think that the biggest thing that I've learned in my life is just being the same person at all times if you can, right? Like any day that someone comes to you or finds you, you're the same person. And just trying to be just who you are at all times. Be transparent. Don't try to put on a front. And if you can always be that person, then like the relationships with long term partners and friends, it kind of they can stand the test of time. Like I have a lot of friends. My best friend Adam, we've been friends since I was five and he was three. And so like we still talk you wow. know almost every other day. And uh I don't know, I just I feel like when you have someone Maybe because I had so much instability in my life growing up that when I find someone that I don't know trusts me and is stable, then I stick with them. And like with Suntour, that was that's been like a 10-year partner almost. And I'm only 28. So <laughs> it's like a, a third of my life I've been working with them. And same with Shimano and all these other brands. And like I just try to be the same person and they always treat me the same. And we just have like a great respect between each other. I think that's what it really comes down to. And with a good friend too. I love when you have a good friend that if you don't talk to him for a few years or even a few months, you just pick up the phone. And it's like completely back to normal. Hey, how's it going? Cause you guys haven't changed and you always treated each other the same, but I don't know with April. It's been cool trying to figure out this whole partner, like boyfriend, girlfriend, and then also doing something together business wise. And that's been really challenging in a lot of ways, but PNW components, who's another partner of ours, Aaron and Emily, they started that brand together and I've been like, Aaron's been super helpful in just saying like, Hey, these are some things to look for. These are some things that have helped us. And just being such a great, I don't know, just friend really of like helping us figure out this whole process. Cause it is hard. Like you have days where you want to like kill each other. Cause you, you're seeing things differently, but then at the same time, it's like, we're so lucky to be able to just be together and have this great experience and journey. So I don't know. It's been really fun.
0: And how do you turn off the work part? Because you oh guys could talk about that forever. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's what I'm really bad at that, honestly. And I, I appreciate April, because she doesn't give me a hard time about it. But I'm really bad at that. Because like we talked about earlier, I feel still like I have to always have my foot on the gas. And a lot of times, we'll just be sitting there. And I'm just like, scheming or trying to plan things. And it's, you know, 11 o'clock at night, and she just looks at me and is like, What are you doing? <laughs> like, Oh, I'm sorry. Like, I I can't help it. And I'm trying so hard to learn that better. But I think I'm still in the process of like learning that lesson. So, I need to check back with me because I'm trying to figure it out and it's it's tough, like especially like I said with April now kind of being full time, like the stakes feel a little higher to where it's like we need to do everything we can to like do a good job. And for me, sometimes I feel that extra pressure and it's not like a negative pressure, it's just like I care about her a lot and I want her to do well and that's been just really Kind of new to figure out because I've always been a solo person, like yeah. solo ride, solo drive, solo everything, and just kind of the only child basically because my brother is so much older. So I'm still figuring all that out.
0: My last question is I've heard you multiple times throughout the podcast, like say a word and then change the word, like, oh, yeah, no, no, struggle, no, no, it's this, or pressure, no, no, it's this. Like, where did you learn like the awareness around your self talk and then to like to change <laughs> it?
1: I don't know. I feel like that's a hard question. I think it's just something you have to practice, right? Because it's like breaking the habit of it's so easy to be negative. It's so easy. It's such a deep rut that we all have kind of built into where it's so easy to fall into it and just stay there. And a lot of times, just like the little choices in your words can really change your personality and your mentality and your perception and the way you're going. So that was something I tried to work really hard on because I'll identify if I have people that I know in my life that are struggling a lot and especially with like my mom, like I love her, but the way that she speaks is very, you know, things are happening to her or it's a negative connotation. And, you know, she'll sometimes call and be like, Hey, how's it going? Are you in April still? Okay. And instead of being like, <laughs> hey, you know, how are things going? I'm like, mom, that's not the way to, you know, that's like the frame of reference that she's looking at the world through. So I think I just have always tried to practice that of like, okay, let's actually think about what this is. And it's easy to be negative and it takes a little bit extra effort to like get out of that rut. But I don't know, <laughs> I, I try hard. I just, I feel like it's so much easier to be positive in life if you can maintain it. It's harder to like get there, but once you're up there and you're trying to be positive, it's easy to maintain it because it just feels better. And when you're negative, it's easier to be negative. So I just try to like consciously go that way if I can, if I can catch myself.
0: Yeah. I'm super passionate about that. And I've spent like (laughs) 10 years basically studying the science of positivity and psychology and like the brain. And I just absolutely love all that stuff. So it's been so fun um, (laughs) getting to talk to you and, you know, we didn't even talk about the bike really. It was just kind of like what happens underneath all of that. Cause the bike is just a vehicle, you know, everybody's vehicle is different and you've done such an amazing job so far and you're just getting going.
1: Oh yeah. No, thank you. I appreciate it. Like I said, I, I always try to tell people, I'm just a kid trying to figure it out. And I guess I'm getting kind of out of kiddom. I'm like 28 now, so I'm almost <laughs> an adult, I guess. But I just feel like I'm trying to figure things out. And I struggle the same as everyone. And, you know, even like you self-identified, like those feelings of, oh, if I help this person, maybe it'll take away from me and things like that. It's so natural to feel those ways. And I want other people to know, like, you know, I, I have feelings of fear. And when April was making this big jump to do full time, she was like, are you sure about this? I was like, I don't know, but we'll try our best and see what happens. And worst case, we'll learn a lot of things that will help us in the future. So I don't know. That's the coolest thing about risk and opportunity and, you know, taking those chances is like you'll always learn something. And I feel like life in a lot of ways is just like this giant education. And you just kind of try to pick up as many lessons as you can along the way. And it's fun. I love being around older people. Like there's a guy at um, the shop complex right now that we have. And he's helping with like the van build and helping with a few things, and he's in his late sixties. And I don't know, it's just fun to be around him. Like he has so many cool little tidbits of information and such a good perspective on life. And yesterday we were just hanging out, and um, he's like, "Yeah, the coolest part about my life so far has been getting to the point where I can help people just for fun." And he's like, "I don't expect anything out of it. Like I just love helping people, and I'm retired, and it's just. He's like, I just enjoy it, and I actually just am here like enjoying it, and." I thought that was really cool because a lot of times you're trying to get something out of it, you know, Mm -hmm. but I I don't know. I just try to spend time around people that are a little bit more mature or have different lessons than I've learned.
0: Well, I'm sure there's people that are going to listen to this podcast many times over (laughs) because you've dropped so many nuggets of wisdom and yeah, so much wisdom. And I'm just so excited. Uh, So where can people find you?
1: The best place would just be on YouTube, I guess right now. And it's just Kyle and April ride MTP. And, uh, then, I guess I have Instagram. I haven't been doing as much Instagram and stuff lately, but YouTube's probably the primary one. Okay, I'm trying to break away from Instagram a little bit. (laughs) It's hard. I feel like I catch myself on Instagram like going down that rabbit hole of just keep scrolling. And then you're like, wait, what did I even look at for the last 20 minutes? And I'm trying to break that because I like the fact that on YouTube, I'm always learning things. I feel like just the way that my content is like presented to me through my search and stuff, it's always like educational things. I really love that about YouTube.
0: Yeah, I really tried to shift my Instagram and being very intentional about it to make every post something for somebody to learn, not just like, hey, look at me. I'm trying really hard to, you know, like shift that content so it's really useful for people.
1: Yeah. Can I ask you a question really quick before we go? Yeah, sure. How do you view like with the sponsorship things and brands being involved now? It seems like social media a few years ago, it was very like, look at me. And now it's changing to be way more value focused, like, hey, Mm -hmm. Oh, let me provide some cool value for you. What, how do you view that? And like, what are things that you're excited about moving forward?
0: Yeah. Well, for me, my purpose, I'm like you, like first it was like, I got a race. I got to like, cause I didn't come from the same background as you, but I didn't have any like financial support. And I, I, I'm embarrassed to admit this, but like, I would buy a tool from like 20 bucks from performance bike. So I could fix my bike and then return the tool. Like, you know, cause I didn't have 20 <laughs> bucks. Like, it, <laughs> So yeah, racing and, and sponsorship and social media and like all the things that I do, my purpose has shifted so much further outside of myself into how can I just help people? And there's multiple ways to do that. And people engage with, you know, different platforms in different ways and just to try to, to meet people where they are and to be able to just be myself. Like you mentioned, authenticity is so important and hopefully people care, you know, about what I have to say, if it's, if it's helpful for them and Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like my goal is not, not just in biking, but just to help people be better every day in their life, feel healthier, feel more empowered. And yeah, social media is one of the tools to do that.
1: That's cool. Is that why you kind of fell into podcasting too? Because just the longer form content, like you love that way of speaking to people on this kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. I mean, my podcast isn't actually about like cycling. It's about high performance living. And I just think it's so important to tell other people's stories And to build relationships like podcasting has been such a great way for me. Like, you and I just sat down and talked for an hour. Like, when do you ever do that with somebody? And then just being able to bring everybody along with us. Because for me, like podcasts and like guests on podcasts have been my biggest mentors. And I just want to be able to have that for people and have that space for people too.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. It's super fun. I know you do a good job with it too. You were a good interviewer today. (laughs) Thanks. Yeah. Well, cool. Thank you for having me on.
0: Yeah, and hopefully we can ri- I can ride with you in April someday.
1: <laughs> yeah, as soon as the border opens up, we'll be up there for sure.
0: <laughs> How could you not be inspired after listening to that episode with Kyle Warner? Make sure that you go and check out his YouTube channel. It's linked up in the show notes. You will find very valuable mountain bike tips. In fact, this week I put a Instagram reel up with a few very simple descending tips and people ask me for more tips. And I really encourage you to go to Kyle and April's channel because you will get a far better learning experience than on a 30 second video on Instagram. And they are doing such a phenomenal job and I learn something all the time from their channel. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button, rate and review the show if you haven't done so already. So that will help other people find these amazing guests who donate their time to be able to connect with you. And I'm with you on this journey of personal growth, adventure, and our mission to be better every day. Bye.